places again. One of the um, attributes that I find in, in fellow man, if you like, fellow man, fellow woman, uh, that I really like, I find really attractive, is that ability to be self-deprecating. That's to say, those people who don't take themselves too seriously, you know, and I find it especially attractive when it's someone who's, who's in a high position of authority and someone plays them a, a, a massive compliment and, and they tend to play it down and, and almost take the mickey out of themselves. And I find that really, really quite attractive. Consequently, I find people do the opposite really well. You know. um, people like um, Jose Mourinho, for example, who I believe is comes with his football in his blood, you know, who claims I am the special one. And from what I under, like the little that I know about football, shortly after he claims I am the special one, his career took a bit of a downturn. And I like that. Uh, what about Liam Gallagher? He uh, claims that he's uh, an oasis, for those of you in the band oasis, those who don't know. You know I am the reincarnation of John Lennon. Well, two problems there. One, you don't really know if reincarnation actually exists. But the second one, he was age eight when John Lennon died. So it's pretty impossible that he's the reincarnation of John Lennon. However, in his own, by his own estimation, he is the, the new John Lennon. Kim Jong-un, who we've all come to love, he claims to have solved the Rubik's Cube in three seconds. Much more impressively, he did this eight he also said, the first time I ever picked up a golf club, I shot 38 under par with 11 hole-in-ones, and then, understandably, he retired from the sport. Kanye West, who some of you may or may not know, is a rapper. He's really a man. He claims... By 50%, I am more influential than Stanley Kubrick, the uh, controversial film director, than the Apostle Paul, than Picasso, or any other human being. I mean, get over yourself, you know? So perhaps the one that, that, that sort of encapsulates this idea, and, and I think we have some sympathy with it, is the great Muhammad Ali, who claims quite simply... I am the greatest, and, and arguably in his chosen sport for that period of time, he probably was. This leads us into our passage this morning, uh, which is from the book of Matthew. If you've got a Bible or a gadget, please start turning to, to Matthew now, Matthew uh, 11. Before we do, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon our time this morning. Father God, thank you again for your incredible word. Still speak to us today. Thank you for the truths contained in it. I pray now that you just enable me to release it to your very people. Amen. Okay, so it's uh, Matthew 11, and uh, starting at uh, the top again in verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his, his first disciples, he went on from there to preach and teach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the Jesus in Sermon on the he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble 
and came to me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, no. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John or the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. For what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang girls, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But this thing is proved right by heaven. I'll leave it, I'll leave it there. <coughs> You've probably all forgotten now that uh, way back in May last year, we started a series uh, in Matthew. Now, we've taken a break from that for various reasons, but now we're going back to Matthew. And by the time we finish this nine-week course, we'll be halfway through the book of Matthew. We pick up the story at a time when John uh, the Baptist is in prison, uh, and he is so because the um, King Herodias has divorced his wife and is now living with uh, his sister-in-law. And John speaks out against this, and consequently, he is in prison. And the whole passage breaks down into three key sections, and we're only going to concentrate on, on one this morning. But I thought, you know, as we are going through the book of Matthew, it's worth just explaining very quickly what the other two are about. And it's, uh, it breaks up into it's three parts that break up into three parts. Um, they all start with a question, they all are all answered with a quotation, and they all end with what you might call a wisdom statement or a proverb. And, um, it should be a makeshift cup in the wall somewhere when we all turn up showing um, how that works. There we go. So section one we'll be looking at shortly. Section two, uh, Jesus confirms John's credentials as a prophet, and he says that he is the one who is predicted in Malachi uh, to be God's messenger sent uh, ahead of the Messiah. He gives John this incredible affirmation that there is no one, uh, that he is the greatest man born of women. And some writers have suggested that Jesus is giving John his obituary. He knew that John was never going to be released from prison. Indeed, we know that John was ultimately beheaded and handed on a platter to Herodias' daughter. But Jesus also stated that there is some coming, the least of which will be even greater than John. And so this is a hard All those who put their faith in him after his resurrection. All of us who put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming far greater than John, in as much as our understanding of 
what Jesus had meant to do, and far greater than John's understanding ever was to be. In the first section, uh, Jesus he kind of laments how has the world got to this place where good people like John, who are not gluttons, who live in the wilderness, who pick up the land, are put in prison for making statements against themselves. It's kind of come through. And equally, uh, the tide has started to turn against Jesus himself because Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors. Why is he being persecuted? Because he is doing uh, a good thing. So he, he, he basically laments about the world and how it gets there. If we think about it, um, we still have that kind of attitude today. We don't like free giving, do we? We don't like it when someone is morally correct and we think it will amend. Somehow their morality throws off our thinking. And as a result, we just think, it's not a big deal. And I think that's kind of what is happening at this point. But as I said earlier, we're going to concentrate on the first section, uh, which is where Jesus, John asks Jesus, who he is in prison, and he sends his disciples to Jesus, and he asks this question, are, the one, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, rather than give a direct answer, um, he quotes a passage of Scripture from over 700 years, or written 700 years beforehand. He says, well, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are set free, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. Now, just to make sure that every single person in this uh, auditorium this morning is seeing from the same point of view, I'm going to go back to basics for a moment. Some of you, many of you will know this story, but I'm well aware that there may be other people in here who have never been to church before, or have only started coming recently, so you don't know the ins and outs of the Bible. But in a nutshell, just going to try and explain uh, something about the Bible. Although we call it the Bible, and it's been expanded to good books, singular, it's actually not just one book. It's actually a collection of 66 books. And it, it, it covers a, a period of time from roughly 1400 BC to 100 AD. So it spans about 1500 years, uh, with a bro- little break in the middle. Um, the, the books cover all kinds of areas of poetry and science diction, the future, uh, prophecy, if you like, uh, there's letters, there's a little collection of wise sayings, and there's a historical documentation of what was going on at the time. We tend to we split the Bible into two very distinct parts. One we call the Old Testament, which contains the 39 of those books, and one we call the New Testament, which is there is a gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament of roughly 400 years. The important thing, and the reason why I tell you that, is we need to know that there are prophecies made in the Old Testament, that is the time before Jesus walked this earth, made about who the Messiah would be. And if you're in general knowledge, you tend to slip. If you don't understand that these things were written in a common understanding, then you won't fully appreciate what the time came to. Jesus affirms himself uh, yeah, by quoting a passage which contains roughly 700 uh, years ago. And there are numerous other prophecies made about him, and they cover his life, his birth, his life, and his death. And of course, at Christmas time, we look at his birth, but I think it's worth looking at some of those areas again this morning 
and uh, we will pass over a lot. But um, the first one concerns his uh, where he would be born. So we're told in uh, Micah that, uh, that you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village in Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. And we know in the New Testament uh, fulfillment that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Um, that interesting that statement, one who would come whose origins are from the distant past, he seems to be suggesting that this is more than just your normal genealogy. This, the date of this person goes back many, many years. Now, that's a superficial date because all of us, our genealogy goes back many, many years. We're part of the human race. So, he's perhaps saying something else. And I think what he's saying is actually, this person has been the son himself. This is not the first, this is, he is not the creation in the sense that you and I are created. We were not and then we were. This person always was. And then he is a bit like um, Mr. Doctor here on earth, while the creation worked out. Of course, if he wants to select where he would be born, he also probably tells us his genealogy. Um, the sceptre will not depart from Judah, that's the first thing, and the rule of staff and his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will obey. And another one, at that time I will bring to the throne of David a righteous descendant, and he will do what is just and right throughout the land. And so what we're hearing here is that Jesus, the Messiah, will be a direct descendant of both Judah um, and David. Now, interestingly, uh, when we read the genealogy of Jesus, it goes father of, father of, father of, father of, father of, right through the right through Jacob and David. Indeed, it goes through Abraham and Isaac, four fathers in his faith. Have you ever watched uh, uh, Who Do You Think You Are, which is the, uh, the TV program that they do the genealogy of the celebrities? The way they tend to do that is they go up a couple of stages, and then they find the second cousin who is removed three times to displace wife. And before you know it, you find someone famous in your family. This is not what they're saying here. This is absolute direct descendancy, father to son, father to son, father to son, all the way down until we reach Joseph, who was not the biological father of Jesus, but he still was the biological father. Um, but he was indeed the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So we know where he was going to born, be born, his genealogy, uh, and what was going to happen at his birth as well, you know, we're told at that time when, when the kings or, or, or the wise men give gifts to Jesus, he's listed in the house, in the, in the bag. You know, years and years, hundreds of years before Psalm 23, uh, we read in Matthew 20, in Matthew 2, that they presented him with gold at his birth, frankincense, and myrrh. And he was his other prediction, which is, I find utterly bizarre, utterly bizarre. You know, if I was the prophet, I would not want to write that down. You know, I, I wouldn't mind saying something professionally, but I'm not going to prophesy that the Messiah could be a form of a virgin because that defies any of the laws of biology that I can know. Interesting little thing that while she was still a virgin, Mary had to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So there's incredible action in his birth. And I know 
we had a focus on something. But I guess one of my questions for you guys, followers, here this morning, you know, you're the Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. All the days ordained for me are written in your book, before one of them came to be. You are wonderful, you are love, you are planned. And I say that because a family member, a close family member of mine, was told when she was a child, I don't know if this is you in the room, but her it absolutely screwed up her life.
prediction that he would be falsely accused, that he would be betrayed, that he would be spat on, that he would be struck, that he would be mocked and ridiculed, that his hands and his feet would be pierced. That's an interesting thing. His hands and his feet would be pierced. This was written even before the Roman Empire was, was, was around, and consequently even before crucifixion was a thought of one of Jesus. His hands and his feet would be pierced long before any knowledge of such things existed. You note, by the way, that those which are of this key book, because they're Isaiah and the Psalms. You know, these are not just random passages taken from the full 20, uh, 39 from the Old Testament. They are selected from the prophetic book. Isaiah we know to be a prophetic book. The Psalms is a, is a song and Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. And the New Testament account tells us that when Jesus dipped his foot into the bowl of wrath, another dipped his hand into the bowl of wrath at exactly the same time. We're also told that Jesus, to show Jesus, was set children to the way he never did. Zechariah says, 600 years before Jesus was born. And I said to them, if you like, give me my wages, whatever I'm worth, but only if you want to. So they counted out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. We also know that Jesus is silver in the
39 properties of this and, and works out what is the probability of one person fulfilling 39 properties. And the way he's done it is he's gone 50 50 on all of it. So it's one in two. So to do one property, one in two properties. So therefore, to do two properties, one in four. And then one in eight, one in 16, one in 33. To fulfill all 39 properties, he calculates comes to one in 549,755,831,000. The significance of that figure, by the way, is that's roughly five times the number of people who have ever lived on this earth. The improbability is enormous. It leads us to one conclusion. Jesus is the Messiah who was predicted all those years ago. But John's, um, John's question came in two parts. The first part was, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's coming? Obviously, I believe he is. The second part was, or can you expect another? It is very clear from this passage, from Jesus, from who Jesus is, and how he has uh, answered people this way, there is no other Messiah. There is no other. And I say this, one, to the cult, some of the cult, uh, children of God, the universe, first of God, the universe, the Satan church, the Satan movement, or the way that they are, who claim that if they are not, they know, and the first is not true. No, they have not. He is still the one. Any prophet of today, I believe that we do have an exception to this, is pointing back to Jesus. We are not pointing forward to another. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say, and this is kind of tied to what we're saying here, if Jesus has fulfilled these prophecies so accurately, you know, we know that there are lots of promises that he will come again. And when he returns again, it won't be as his humble self. It will be in glory, and he will bring with him if the promises are fulfilled so accurately from from the Old Testament to the New, we can be absolutely certain that the predictions made about his second coming are accurate here. And you know there are lots of theories about how it's going to happen, and that sounds really nice. And it's going to, it's going to happen, and it's going to be astonishing, astounding, glorious, and cosmic. That leads us to, you know, a question of ourselves. Have I acknowledged who he is? Have I acknowledged that Jesus is indeed the Messiah who was predicted all those years ago? And you know, um, after Pichetto, I am going to I'm going to pray a prayer which maybe the first time, I, you know, you don't have to say this out loud, but just say this in, in your heart as well. This may be the first time that you've ever prayed this, but if you pray it like this, if you pray it and mean it, I believe the Lord will want to speak to you then. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Let's, let's not be aware of our hearts and let's pray in this way. Let's make this between me and God. Dear Lord Jesus, 
heard this message this morning and and I acknowledge that you are the one who was predicted all those years ago. You are the promised one and that there is no other. Dear Lord, I look at my own life and I I see that I've done bad things. I've done I've said things I shouldn't have said, I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've thought things I shouldn't have thought. I need to be forgiven. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of all that I've done, of all my sins. And I just am very conscious, Lord, that I can't, you know, I want to be good, but that's too hard sometimes. So I ask that your Holy Spirit would make a place in my heart and that he would walk with me for the rest of my life. Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, the Son of God, I give my life to you. Amen. Now keep your heads, keep your eyes closed and heads down. I just want to say that if there was anyone here who that prayer resonated with for the first time in your life, and you thought, yes, I've not done that before, and I want to do this today, would you just raise your so I can see that uh, this is you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. 